When I was looking at the opportunity to bring a lesson to you, uh, I teach in Crossword Sunday School class, and we've been studying the life of Solomon. Now, just give me one word. When I say Solomon, tell me what you know about Solomon. Not one word. Give me one sentence. Tell me what you know about Solomon. One sentence. Wisest man in the world. What else? David's son, he built the temple. He had a few wives. Do you know about how many, Matthew? Well, 700 wives, 300 concubines, so they do add up. What else do we know? Very wealthy. Okay, so we kind of got a picture of the third king of Israel, David's son, who started really well, really well. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But he got off the path. So here's a man that started really well, who got off the path not just a little bit, y'all. He got way off the path. And what's been on my mind and on my heart as we've been studying his life and then we went on and we're teaching Proverbs now and we'll go on to Ecclesiastes, um, which if you know the book of Proverbs, how could anybody that wrote that book ever go wrong, Right? Yet if you know the book of Ecclesiastes, it's the heartache of a man that ruined his life. Ruined his life. And what weighed on me is, how, how did that happen? I mean, doesn't that weigh on you a little bit? How, how does that happen to a guy that is so faithful, that knows the Lord so well? Matter of fact, let's Let's look at that. Today we're going to uh, be in 1 Kings. 1 Kings is uh, where the temple was built by Solomon. It's about Solomon's um, work in that area. It's, 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 it's his biography, if you want, from 1 Kings 3 through 11. This is the Ark of the Covenant that was put inside of the temple I'm just telling you guys, during Solomon's reign, it was the pinnacle for the nation of Israel in their relationship with the Lord. And Solomon is the one who helped bring them there. It's the Holy of Holies. So we're going to look at how to avoid leaving the path. Lessons from the life of Solomon. This is kind of an outline of the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings, where we have the rise of Solomon. In other words, seeing Solomon embrace the Lord, the rise meaning this was his time of, of trusting the Lord and following the Lord. And then he built the temple. And then there's the decline of Solomon. And that's where he just left the reservation, went off the path. A lesson verse is from 1 Kings 8.23, where Solomon said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant with his people. What happened there? It goes on, showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. All through this chapter and all through the life of Solomon, the heart is a significant uh, description of what the Lord is interested in with us. He's interested not in our rote actions, not in the things that uh, we say, but he's interested in our heart. Who are we really? And he knows our heart. 
So the theme is believers are to avoid leaving the path of obedience to God's command in five ways. By being thankful, remaining humble, applying wisdom, exhibiting contentment, and demonstrating a fear of the Lord. And what's interesting is those things are exhibited in Solomon's walk. If you're there in 1 Kings, I'm going to look at 1 Kings 8, 54 first. And the reason I'm reading this first is it just gives you a really good picture right off the bat of Solomon at his peak. At Solomon, when he was in his greatest devotion, holy following the Lord. And this is what he said. Okay, this is right after his great prayer of dedication of the temple. In 1 Kings 8, 54, when Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer of supplication to the Lord, he arose before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees. So if you get the picture, there's a great prayer. If you want to read a great prayer, read the prayer that precedes these verses. He's kneeling on his knees before the altar of the Lord, praying this great prayer. And then he stands up after his prayer before the nation of Israel. And he spreads his hands toward heaven. And he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all he promised. Now what he means when he says giving rest to the people of Israel, for one of the few times in the history of Israel, there were no wars going on. Their borders were secure. They were the largest they'd ever been. God had brought in peace to Israel. And he says, not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he promised through Moses. Solomon's looking back to the promise that God made through Moses. How long had it passed from Moses to Solomon? 500 years. Yet Solomon was very familiar with the promises that God had made Moses. Because Solomon was very familiar with the word of God. Verse 57, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord to be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is, is God and there is no one else. You get that? So that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no one else. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like what God had called the nation of Israel to do? To walk in such a way? that the nations around would see that the Lord is God and there is no one else? Verse 61, he says, Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as at this day. Well, now you can go to 1 Kings 3, and we're just going to do a jet tour through these eight chapters to look at Solomon's life and where he did well and where he went off. So first of all, in Solomon's early actions and attitudes, you got to remember he was 20 years old when he became king. Anybody in here 20 years old? That's pretty young to become king. How did he begin his rule over the nation? What did he do? What was his attitude? Well, Solomon demonstrates a love for the Lord. 1 Kings 3.3, 3, it says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense 
on the high places. And the verse before tells you why. Because there was no temple yet in Israel. But he loved the Lord. He demonstrated a great love for the Lord. And then in verse 4 of chapter 3 it says, The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. In Gibeon, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. That would tell me that the Lord is pleased with Solomon. It's the first time that he appears. He's gonna, the Lord's going to appear to Solomon again in chapter 9. He's going to talk to him by the word of the Lord in, ver, in chapter 6. But this is the first time in chapter 3, and it's a dream at night, and God says, ask what you wish me to give you. Now, you know, there is a lot of people in an understanding or thinking in this world that God is a genie. And all you do is you rub the lamp and ask God what he, you want him to give you. And if you just read this verse out of context, you would think, that's what the Lord does. But that's not what the Lord's doing here. Even here, he's testing Solomon. He's going to reveal the heart of Solomon by asking this question. Because he knows the heart of Solomon. And here's how Solomon responds. First <clears throat> Kings 3, 6. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you reserve for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. What is Solomon referring to here? He's referring to a promise that God made to David. What do we call that promise? The Davidic covenant. And what did God promise to David? That he would always have a king on the throne. And it was initially fulfilled by Solomon. And Solomon recognizes that. He didn't do anything to, to make himself worthy of the throne. He's on the throne as a result of the promise God had given his father David. And Solomon recognizes that. He says now, verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, but yet I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people, who are too many to be numbered and counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So first of all, Solomon's demonstrating a thankfulness to God for his position in life. He's thankful for the throne. And then Solomon demonstrates a humility in his own ability to accomplish God's will. He calls himself a little child. He knows that he can't do this. So of all the things that a 20-year-old could have asked God for, what does he ask God for? Wisdom. Wisdom for the purpose of what? Of exalting himself? No. What was the wisdom for? Yeah. His wisdom was so that he could exalt God in administering justice in the nation of Israel. Is that a good start? For a 20-year-old to come to the Lord in humility and thankfulness in that way? It's a great start. Matter of fact, verse 10 says, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, I mean, wouldn't that be the expectation that one might ask the Lord for? But no. You ask for yourself discernment to understand justice. That pleased the Lord. 
And the Lord said, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will be no one like you before you. No one will arise after you. I have given you what you have not asked for as well, both riches and honor, so there will not be among the kings like you all of your days. You know, throughout all the kings of Israel, there never was a king that was wiser or richer than Solomon. But God was pleased with Solomon. He gave him what he requested and more, but he also gave him a condition. Look at verse 14. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. There's an expectation that God has for Solomon, and that's obedience. Solomon demonstrates the wisdom of God to administer justice, and that happens in a very familiar story. I'm not going to read all of it, but you'll remember it in 1 Kings 3 when there were two women that stood before him, and they both said that they gave birth to the same baby, and Solomon was supposed to figure out which one was the mother. And you remember how he did that. It was a demonstration of this God-given wisdom in the way that he brought out a sword, said he was going to cut the baby in two, and the real mother exposed herself by saying, don't do that, right? Then the king said, give the first woman a living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard of the judgment the king had handed down, they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Solomon demonstrated the wisdom of God to administer justice. Then Solomon demonstrated contentment with the role given to him by the Lord. It says in verse, in chapter 6, verse 1, Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, and in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. So get this, he's king four years, and he starts now to build the temple. Now let me tell you what he came in with. He came in, his, his father David had left him all the provisions. In other words, the people had given a lot. So much the people had given that David finally had to say, stop. We have enough. The Lord had given David all the plans for the building of the temple. Solomon had all the plans. But he begins to build the temple in his fourth year as king. With the same people who had given to make this possible. Now in 1 Kings 6.11 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. This wasn't an appearance now. This is the word of the Lord coming to Solomon. And it says in verse 12, concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinance and keep my commandments by walking in them, what's the Lord saying? If you will do what? If you will obey. Then I will carry out my word, which I spoke to your father, David. <clears throat> I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people, my people. So Solomon built the house and finished it. And God was pleased with Solomon. He promised to dwell in the temple. In verse 38, it says, In the eleventh year, <clears throat> in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished throughout all its parts and according to all its plans. So he was seven years building it. Seven years he's, he built the house of the Lord. Now what do you think consumed Solomon during that time that he was building the house of the Lord? What do you think his mind was on? What do you think he was thinking about? I mean, he was, he was using all the provisions his, his father had left him. He was following all the plans. I mean, his mind had to be on the Lord, don't you think? I mean, he had to be consumed with that. This is a seven-year project that he's thrown himself into. And after seven years, 
the people reassembled for the dedication of the temple. Now it's been 11 years since they gave so much that they had to stop. And now Solomon's, he's, he's gathering all the people for a temple dedication. Look at 1 Kings 8. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the leaders, the fathers of the household, the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. That's the last thing they're doing. They're bringing up the Ark to the temple, right? Verse five, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with the Ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they couldn't be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Verse nine, there was nothing in the Ark except two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel. When they came out of the land of Egypt, it happened when the priests came to the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of it. What did that signify when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies? The presence of God. Verse 15 of chapter eight, Solomon said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Verse 20, now the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke. For I have risen in the place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I've set a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them from the land of Egypt. And then Solomon makes that great prayer I was talking to you about in verse 23 when he says, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or above, on earth or beneath, keeping covenant, showing loving kindness to his servants who walk before you with all their heart. Verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Solomon understands that God is too great to dwell in this house. Yet regard to the prayer of your servant, to his supplications, O Lord, listen to the cry and to the prayer which my servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, my name shall be there. Listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. See, Solomon demonstrated a fear of the Lord, the Lord who could not be contained on earth or in heaven. And then in verse 56, he says, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of his good promise, which he promised through Moses his servant. May the Lord our God be with us as he himself to walk in his ways, keep his commandments and his statutes and ordinances which he commanded our fathers. Do you understand what Solomon's doing here? Not only is he himself committed to being wholly devoted to the Lord, he's also exhorting and commanding the people of Israel to do the same. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as at this day. See, Solomon's heart was wholly devoted to the Lord as he walked in obedience to God's command and he called Israel to do the same. And this was the peak for the nation of Israel. This was the highest high. It doesn't get any better in the nation of Israel. 
Solomon's relationship, his relationship to the Lord was a blessing to Israel. In verse 66, it says, on the eighth day of this festival, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. See, throughout this, the Lord has demonstrated his faithfulness. Saw how the Lord heard Solomon's prayer. Chapter 9, verse 1, it came about when Solomon finished building the house of the Lord, the king's house that all Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So this is the second time now that the Lord appears to Solomon. And in verse 3, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. The Lord said he heard Solomon's prayer. And the Lord kept his promise. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In 2 Chronicles 7, which is a parallel passage to 1 Kings chapter 9, it says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They knew they were in the presence of the holy God. They worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. The cloud for the glory of the Lord has filled the house of the Lord. And then the Lord promised to establish the throne of Solomon's kingdom over Israel forever. If, now, what do you think is going to be the if? If what? If Solomon's heart remained wholly devoted to the Lord. That's right. If he was, remained faithful, if he remained obedient. It says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness. You know, I, I mentioned that at the beginning of the lesson. I just want you to, to see the emphasis here. The Lord wants your heart. He wanted Solomon's heart. He doesn't want any outward external actions. He wants your heart. And that's what he sees. That's what he says in Solomon. Look, if you will walk according to me as your father, David. Matter of fact, how does David remember? A man after what? And after God's own heart, in the integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and if you will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The Lord warned Solomon of the consequences of disobeying his commands. Verse 6, but if you... Or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them Then I will cut off Israel in the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples and all the house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. Look, the Lord appeared to Solomon. He told him all of this. He told him exactly what the results of disobedience would be. And what's amazing is, 
Solomon ignored it all. And Solomon departs the path. The Lord warned Solomon of the consequences of disobeying his commands. Yet Solomon departed the path. Look, okay, I have to tell you guys something. It's, it's 7.53. When I teach Sunday school, I have 45 minutes. Now, they told me I have till 8 o'clock. Now, I can start talking really fast. Or you might have to stay two or three minutes later. Which, which would you rather have? Okay. Good for you. I like that, too. But I'll go faster than I normally would. So Solomon departs the path. And, you know, the first thing he does that we see is this accumulation of wealth. And that was a direct violation of God's command. See, God, back in Deuteronomy, Moses said this. Deuteronomy 17, 16. This is about a king. Moses said, look, there's going to be a king. Deuteronomy 17, 16. Moreover, he shall not, this king, this is what he's not supposed to do. He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said, you shall never again return that way. Verse 17. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. How many years was this before Solomon? 500 years. But we know Solomon knew this because he knew Moses and he knew the promise that God had made to Moses and he knew that God had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and he knew this. But you know what? God gave Solomon a lot, but then Solomon begins to accumulate more. It's not enough of what he's got. 1 Kings 9.26, Solomon built a fleet of ships in Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom, and Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, sailors who knew the sea. Along with the servants of Solomon, they went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Chapter 10, verse 14. Now the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 660 cents talents of gold. Besides that, from the traders and the wares of the merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country, moreover, Solomon made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it in refined gold. Chapter 10, verse 25, they brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know how many 666 talents is. How much is it worth in today's money? According to Forbes, Forbes is a good financial magazine. According to Forbes, King Solomon would be worth an estimated $170 billion in today's money. This is based on his estimated annual income of $2.2 billion, which was derived from taxes, trade, and other sources. Solomon accumulated massive wealth, massive wealth in direct violation of God's command. And then Solomon used his wisdom to test the truthfulness of God. Does that sound familiar? Who else did that? Who else tested the truthfulness of God? Some lady with an apple. Yeah. Satan tempted, said, did God? Well, it says this. King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches, wisdom, all that he was seeking in the presence of Solomon to hear the wisdom which God had put in his heart. But in Ecclesiastes 1.13, here's what he said he did with my wisdom. He said, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that had been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God had given the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straight, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more 
than all who were ever over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. With chapter two, verse one, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. You know what Solomon did? Solomon used his great intellect to begin to test the truthfulness of God's wisdom. And you know what Ecclesiastes says he found out? Yeah. That you know what? God's really wise, and I'm not. My life was a waste. It was a ruin, because that's what I did. I tested the Lord's wisdom and pursued wealth and women and all of these things and found out that the Lord's right and I'm wrong. And it is tragic, the result. Solomon's accumulation of wives was a direct violation of God's command as we read from Deuteronomy. He had so many foreign wives. And you know what? The accumulation of wives did for Solomon? It led Solomon to the worship of false gods. Because these foreign women led Solomon away from the Lord. That's not the foreign women's fault. Don't get me wrong there. It's Solomon's fault. But God warned him what would happen. That if you bring these women that are worshiping false gods, you're going to turn away from me, Solomon. And he did. Wow. That's just amazing. Is that not amazing to you guys? How that happened. Listen to this. 1 Kings 11.4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord as God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, did not follow the Lord fully as the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Then he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to the gods. I think the Lord felt about that. What do you think God thought about that? Yeah, verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. He commanded concerning his thing, he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord commanded. Solomon's worship of false gods was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, mass accumulation of wealth. Mass accumulation of wives. And then worship of false gods. Well, if you want to read the rest of chapter 11, you'll find out how the Lord judged Solomon. But I'll give it to you in a nutshell. He's going to rip the kingdom away from that line. And Solomon, although he will die because of God's faithfulness to David, still in power, the Lord judges him. And there are consequences for his sin, just as the Lord promised. And it's devastating. So... That's the book of Ecclesiastes. If you, when you read that, you uh, understand how it broke God's heart, but it broke Solomon's heart as well. So let's look at some application. You know... Um, I looked at it this way. If I'm going to tell you how to avoid the falling off the path, I've got to give you a bunch of negative things, right? So, you know, Solomon once loved the Lord. Now he turned away from the Lord to 
follow false gods. Don't do that. Number two, Solomon was once thankful. He became ungrateful for God's gift of a kingdom. Don't become ungrateful. Once humble, he became proud as if he was accomplishing these things himself. Don't become proud. Once he was wise, but he became foolish by pursuing his own sinful desires. Once he was content, but he became insatiable in his desire for wealth and women. Once he feared the Lord, he lost all fear of the Lord and did what was evil in his sight. Don't lose your fear of the Lord. But instead of giving you all the don'ts, I just turned it around and just give you the positives. Now you could say to me, well, Brian, don't you understand? Solomon was on this path. How are we, if we just do what Solomon did, how are we going to avoid leading the path? By doing what you're to do and putting yourself totally into that effort. You know, biblical change comes about by putting off and putting on, right? That's how we change biblically from Ephesians 4. So, you know the things that Solomon did that displeased the Lord. So what you do is you don't do those, but you pour yourself into doing what the Lord commands us to do. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Let me drop back for just a minute because I have to ask you this question. Are you on the path? Are you on the path of obedience? How do you get on the path of obedience? Well, there's only one way to get on the path of obedience. You have to respond to the gospel. You have to acknowledge that God is creator of the universe, that he is the one that maintains ownership of this world, that God is holy and his standard is perfection. James 2.10 says that he that keeps the whole on yet stumbles at one point, he has become what? Guilty of all. You have to understand that God is who he says he is in the Bible, the creator, the owner of the universe, the one who still maintains sovereignty over this world. And then you have to know who you are. And who are you? You are a sinner. You are a sinner that's separated from God by your sin. And it's not that there's just some people that have that affliction. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is what? Eternal death. And that what can you do to make yourself right with God? Well, if you're on the self-preservation program or self-improvement program, you're not going to reach the point that God's going to accept you. It's never going to happen. Because we're not saved by our own works. Our works are like filthy rags. We're saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works. It's a free gift of God, lest any man should boast. And then, and then we're ready for a Savior. When you've acknowledged who God is and who you are as a sinner and that you can't do anything, that you're totally helpless, then you need to know about Jesus Christ. You need to know about our Savior who is fully God and fully man, who came as a demonstration of God's own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you haven't known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not on the path. You have to worry about falling off because you're not on the path yet. But if you understood that Jesus went to the cross as your substitute, he took the sin, the penalty for sin that you deserve. So that you can be reconciled to God. That he was, he was the one who died on the cross and received God's approval by being resurrected and is now at the right hand of God interceding for those who would believe in him. That you would respond today in repentance and faith. That's how you would get on this path of obedience. 
that you would repent of your sin, that you would turn from what you're doing, and that you would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone wishes to follow me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. So then you're on the path. And how do you stay on the path? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. That's what Jesus said. And then be thankful. Be thankful for the salvation that God gave you as a free gift. Colossians 1.10 says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy. You walk in a manner worthy, I think about that. If you're on the path, you're gonna walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfast, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Number two, be humble by showing patience with one another in love, Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the call which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be wise, trusting in the wisdom that it's from God. Oh, you know the, you know the people that um, want to argue with you about uh, the minor differences of Minutia. They just want to argue for argument's sake. You ever been locked in one of those with somebody? They don't have any, any real purpose other than just creating division and arguing. No. No, what it says is, um, in 1 Corinthians 1.20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The wisdom that's from God. Be content with the provision and the position given to you by God. You know, I think the greatest way to fall off the walk, to lose your way, is to lose your contentment. To think somehow God isn't giving you what you deserve or what you should get. And that's a terrible place to be. 1 Timothy 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we, can we cannot take anything out of it either. If we had food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, contentment is a great gift. You've been around content people? They're a joy to be around. Because they're thankful, they're, they're, uh, they have a, a joy that comes from just their salvation. That they just know that they have an eternal destiny and inheritance that they're going to spend their eternity with, with Jesus Christ. And that while they're here on this earth, they're trophies of his grace. And they know it, they're content, and when you're around them, you're content too. You feel that steadfast, that peace that surpasses understanding. And then last, and see, I did get to last, and it's only 11 minutes after. Fear the Lord and don't be wise in your own eyes. That's the other place you get off the path. You know, um, I was saved when I was 25, and I came out of a very lost state. I had been one that, uh, that it totally was um, involved in a life that is advertised on TV under the beer commercial. You know, it's the best life now. Just pursue all the things the world has to offer and that will give you great joy. And thankfully, when I was 25 at the birth of my first son, the Lord just struck me as to what a lie that was and what a wasteful life I was living. And the things that I was doing, the way they were injuring those around me. And I didn't know anything about the Lord. I just dropped to my knees and begged him to save me and to give me his wisdom because I was about to raise a son. 
And I was married to a woman that I had no way and no knowledge of how to be a good husband to her. 42 years ago. And I thank the Lord every day of my life for that because he is faithful to take a sinner with no knowledge, no wisdom, no ability, and direct his efforts in a way that bring you a life that has purpose and meaning and exalts the God that saved you. And, you know, that's not anything we do of our own efforts. That's what the Lord does in us. And, um, you know, as I read this about Solomon and about, you know, him leaving the path, I don't want to leave the path. I don't want you to leave the path. I want you guys to hold on tight. Follow the Lord even when you don't understand. Because when you look back on your life, you won't have regrets. You won't be like Solomon. Solomon looks on his life with massive regret. You know, I didn't really understand what the Lord was leading me through in a lot of times in my life, but I held on. I held on. And I look back, and he was always doing, working things together for good for those who love him. There'll be times you don't understand. There'll be times when, when you're just walking by faith and not by sight. But when you look back at your life and you've strayed on the path, you have avoided leaving and departing, your memories won't be like Solomon's. You'll be thankful to the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful for your son that you sent when we couldn't do anything to be reconciled to you. But you reconciled us to yourself through your son and his obedience by going to the cross and taking our penalty for sin and, and, and giving us his righteousness that he earned. And Lord, as a result, you put us on the path of obedience and you give us the spirit to help us to know, to understand your word, your commandments, and the things you would have us do. And Lord, you're faithful. You are a faithful God who will be with us, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. Lord, help us never leave you or forsake you. Help us to stay steadfast and true. Help us to be trophies of your grace. We pray these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.